Let me start with this this morning. Any time that God leads you to change your world, any time that God tells you or leads you to make a significant, meaningful difference, maybe to do something generous or to do something that benefits somebody else, something that's lasting in life, you can expect opposition. There's gonna be opposition that's gonna come at you from all different angles. We can count on obstacles. You can count on spiritual resistance to come and to try to slow the work that God has called you to, that God has called you to. We're in the third week of a, of a journey that we're going through the book of Nehemiah together. Now, if you missed any of this, don't worry about it, but I do believe, because I'm gonna catch you up slightly, but you can always go back at newlifeca.church and you can check out the messages and so forth that are there. I believe with all of my heart, I really believe this, that this message series has the potential to help guide you to fulfill your calling, whatever God is calling you to do, challenging you to do, to change your world. You know, that could be something as simple as, as uh, you know, going to church. You find, here's the deal, if you set yourself and you said, listen, I'm gonna change my world by going to church so that I can become a better human being, so that I can be kinder and nicer and so forth in my life, I guarantee that it, 8.30 this morning, you encountered some obstacles in your life. You encountered some challenges in your life along the way. I get it. It doesn't matter what the call is, you fill in the blank. But the solution is still the same. So we've been looking at this life of Nehemiah. Let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy. He had like this ordinary job. Like he was looking through the newspaper and he's like, oh, there's a job I could do. It's a servant job. And so it's like an entry level job. And he got the job. It turns out it was working for the king of Persia, but the job was that of being a cupbearer. Cupbearer probably had one responsibility. I'm sure there was like other things in the job description, but the main thing was you take a drink of the wine before the, 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 the king drinks it. And if you die, the king won't drink the wine. That was his job. He wasn't a noble. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't, he was just a servant to the king. And while he was being a servant to the king in this nation of Persia, he had heard about his people, his family, his homeland, about a thousand miles away. The plight of his people was, was terrible. See, 120 years prior to this, um, the, the community of, of Jerusalem, Israel, was destroyed, decimated, burned to the ground. And now people, about 50,000 people, a hundred years or so later, chose to go back and they went back to this still rubble, mound of rubble. And they went back with the idea, the desire that they were gonna rebuild the city. Only problem was when they got there, they became depressed and discouraged and they became hopeless. 50,000 of them couldn't rally themselves to repair this, think about that. 50,000 people couldn't rally themselves to repair the city. Nehemiah hears about this, what does he do? Well, we discovered in week number one, it broke his heart. It wasn't just like, well, that's too bad. I'm living pretty good here, serving the king, eating the king's food, watching the king's 80-inch 4K television, right? I'm having a good life. No, instead, he felt, he felt it. it he, the, the first week, we, we discovered that the, the first thing he did was he, he sat down. And, and when you sit down, you really kind of think about it. He sat down, and he began to cry. Not cry because he was like a weakling, but he cried because he, he owned it. He began to see it through the eyes of his homeland. This, this is devastating. After he owned it and felt it and saw it through their lens, the second thing he did is, is we discovered he just he knelt down and he, he began to talk to God and pray about it. 
And then he felt inspired by God. He was probably praying, God, you gotta do something about this. And then ding, 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 something probably went off on his head. And we know that the next thing he did is he, he rose up. I will do it. If nobody else can do it, 50,000 of them, I will do it. You ever felt that inspiration before? Like, I can't, I'm gonna tear down the house. That's probably where he was at. Then it probably wasn't very long later and he realized, well, how am I gonna do that? Which is what we talked about in week number two. And we discovered through Nehemiah's story, there is actually a, like a four-step plan to the how you're gonna accomplish what God wants you to accomplish in your life. And the first thing we need to do, as Nehemiah did, was he, he had to go back to God again. Okay, God, I've decided that I'm going to follow you, that I'm going to do this. I have no idea how. Here's the deal, God, just so you know, in case you don't, and I'm pretty sure you do, um, I don't have the talent, I don't have the energy, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I don't have the money, and I don't have the people. But other than that, I'm all in, God. And, and so he talks to God about this, and God begins to stir something inside of him after he seeks God faithfully, he decides, I've got to define my vision clearly. You see, if you aim at nothing, you know the, the old adage, you're going to hit it every time. So uh, if you, if you, you, you want to be specific. So he decides, I've got to be specific about my vision. And he says it clearly. I am going back to Judah to rebuild the city walls. That's my vision. That's what I'm going to do. So what we need to do after we see God faithfully is we need to define our vision clearly. What is it? I'm going to go to church every Sunday. Okay, you defined your vision clearly. I'm going to get my family out of debt. Okay, you defined your vision clearly. I'm going to be, uh, be involved in this ministry. I'm going to impact this particular demographic in my life. I'm going to have a conversation with everybody in my pod at work about Jesus before the end of the summer. That's a specific vision that God has given to you. So whatever it is, he's given it. So after you define it clearly, then he goes on to make some plans very, very carefully. Okay, how do you make plans carefully when you don't know how? You talk to people, you get wise counsel, you sit down with other people that are, that are believers that, that have maybe a few strides ahead of you in your life. You, you, you continue to talk to God, but he began to seek counsel and, counsel and he made plans carefully. Then after he made the plans and he has the vision, it's specific, then he inspires people passionately. And so here we go. Nehemiah is now back. Here we go, week number three. Nehemiah is now back in Jerusalem and he's rebuilding the walls. What is so amazing about this story is he's inspiring other ordinary people along the way. I love this about Nehemiah, what leadership principles. These weren't carpenters, these weren't masonries, these were, get this, the Bible even, even tells us what occupations they had that come to help him rebuild these towering walls to make this, the fortress walls around the city of Jerusalem that are still there today. He, he, these people had, they were uh, merchants, they were, they were goldsmiths, and get this, they were perfume makers. That's what I would look for. Any perfume makers here, I want you to help me rebuild these walls because I know you can do construction if you're a perfume maker. But those were the people that Nehemiah used. They were ordinary people. And under his leadership, the Bible says they started to make some incredible progress. And I have a feeling that the perfume maker looked at the goldsmith, right? And they looked at each other and go, well, I think we're gonna do this. This is coming along, this is going pretty quickly. These walls are coming up. Come on, man, chest bump. I think they probably had this extreme moment of confidence, but 
Everybody say, but. Say it so the people that are watching online can hear you, but. There you go. But you guys, those of you watching online today, there's between four and 5,000 people here today, um, and I'm being honest with you. As honest as I am, between four, four and five. Here we, what we do know is whenever the work goes down, opposition shows up. Whenever the work goes down, opposition shows up. The moment you tend to do something in your life that glorifies God, you can set your watch, you can set your calendar to know that spiritual opposition is going to show up. And we see this in the first two verses of Nehemiah chapter four. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates, in other words, he's, he's a bully, he's saying this around all of his friends, and the, the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? You gotta know what the word feeble means. The word feeble is, it actually means in the Hebrew language, it's like a chopped off flower. Um, you know, like a rose that's been chopped off. Basically what he's saying is by saying the feeblest, what are, what are these hopeless, what are these lifeless Jews doing. They've got no chance of rebuilding the wall. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? <laughs> he's really dogging them and really making fun of them. And he's rallying people to get on board with his evil antagonistic verbiage. And then in verse number three, Tobiah, the Ammonite who was at his side said, what are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. So what do we see? Here's what we see. When the work starts to go down, opposition starts to show up. And this is true for you in your life as well. When the work goes down, opposition shows up. And, and maybe in the last few weeks, God has called you to move in a direction in your life. And you start, maybe it was in that one thing that I mentioned a couple times, you decided except for our mortgage, we wanna become debt free. And so you come together as a family or just as an individual and you say, okay, I'm gonna make some changes in my life. I'm gonna get this up and I'm gonna put this toward my debt reduction and I'm gonna snowball this thing and I'm gonna get out of debt as quickly as I possibly can. So it's good for me and good for my family. So you make some decisions to do that and you get a $700 car repair bill that all of a sudden smacks you across the face. Opposition is going to show up. Don't give up on the good work that you're doing. What I'm telling you is don't be surprised when you take a step of faith that the enemy is gonna push back. Because here's what I know, advancement invites opposition. Advancement invites opposition in your life. Satan doesn't bother those people who are not a threat. He's gonna leave you alone. If you're walking in the ways of the enemy and you're doing his will, he's gonna leave you alone. But the moment you step out and you try to honor God and you all, listen, red flags are gonna go up all over hell and demons are gonna be released to try to stop you from doing what you know God put in your heart to do. Expect spiritual opposition when you do the will of God because Satan tries, always tries to oppose the will of God. If you don't want any opposition in your life, here's what you need to do. Just stay out of the game. If you don't want any opposition in your life, live a self-centered life and you're probably going to be left alone. You're gonna be left out of trouble. But here's what I know, God is calling you. There is a trump card inside of every one of us. He is calling you to something higher and calling you to step up in your life, to serve and to give and to pray and to love people 
Not just in the church, but as the church. He's calling you to do something higher. But the moment you move into that calling, whatever it is, expect you're going to have critics and you're going to have haters. So Nehemiah steps up and he has Sanballat, which is a funky name, and Tobiah. These two guys are coming against him with all these. They're trying to tear him down. So my question as I read this is, how do we respond to critics? You punch them in the throat. Write it down. I'm just going to, you don't do that. How do, according to the Bible, how do you respond to critics? How do you respond to the naysayers and to the doubters? Here's the answer. Let me just be very, very clear. Most of the time, you don't. You don't respond to them. You don't respond. Notice what Nehemiah does not do in the Bible. He doesn't respond. He doesn't answer. He doesn't defend. In fact, what I hope you understand is your response is, it's never going to convert your critics. Your response, the only thing it does is it's going to validate your critics. So when you acknowledge your critics, what we do is we actually give them power. 10, 11 years ago, we first moved uh, to to, uh, Lathrop, um, uh, we were doing uh, uh, anti-bullying assemblies for the schools. And some of you might remember those days, and we were taking some kids that were in our Taekwondo programs, and we were going to the schools, and we had like 35,000 students we had in assemblies over the course of that couple of years that we did these anti-bullying assemblies for. And we were good, but really the reason the schools wanted us to come is because we were free. I'm just going to say that, right? We did the the assemblies were absolutely at no charge. We wanted to gain influence, but we also wanted to make a difference. I see these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, as nothing more than bullies. And it happens for adults, not just for kids. And what do you do? You don't want to give them power. You simply don't respond. You ignore them like Nehemiah did, and you keep on doing the work. How do you respond? You don't. But let me acknowledge, that is not easy to do. It's not easy when you stepped out to see people criticizing you. It's never easy to deal with people criticizing you that you don't know very well but it's even harder to deal with critics when they're people in your own family, when they're people that you do know, when they're people that are close to you, when they're neighbors, when they're folks that you kind of care about what it is that their opinion is. When you're called by God, you feel called by God to do something, to take a step of faith, to, to, to love someone, to, what's gonna happen is someone that you trust, someone that you respect, oftentimes will bring into your life words of discouragement. I'm not saying they're trying to. They probably even have your best interest at heart, but they're still discouraging you in the journey. Who do you think you are? I mean, just nobody's gonna tell you the truth. Are you not prepared for that? I don't, are you, I don't think, are you sure? I mean, wouldn't it be a lot better for you to come over here and do this because this would pay a lot more or this would, uh, you should do something different. Don't be, don't, don't be stupid. Don't, who do you think you are? When you step out, opposition steps in. That's why it's really important in any form of leadership or any form of influence or any form of ministry. I really do try to tell myself that I'm not going to be moved by people's praise and I'm not going to be moved by people's criticism. I'm I'm, I'm not going to let their praise get into my head and I'm not going to let the criticism get into my heart. If you will just, listen, don't be moved, try that. I'm not gonna be moved by what people think. I don't do that well all the time. But when I do do that well, 
I much more effectively move into my calling and fulfilling what God has one called me to do. Mm. Here's what Nehemiah knows. He knows that he's, he doesn't answer to his critics. He knows that he answers to God. You don't answer to your critics either. You answer to God. You don't answer to the lower power. You answer to the higher power. And when we see this, it's pretty powerful. What does Nehemiah do when these critics come? Well, he does what he does. He, the next thing he does is he prays, and here's what he prays. By the way, this is a prayer that is a, the thousands of years before Jesus. So this is a prayer before you hear the teachings, turn the other cheek, all right? Uh, this is a prayer that I would pray, but it's not the best prayer. He probably needs some maturing in his area of prayer, okay? So let's hear what he prays. Here's what he prays. He says, hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of kept. Don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Send them into hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of... It doesn't say that, but that's kind of the essence of what he's saying. He's, he's really, really... He's saying, sick them, God. Go get them, God. Send them... To where they deserve to go. I mean, he's really passionate about his prayer here. He's pretty amped up. And then in verse number six, he says, so after, this is after he prayed, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. What did Nehemiah do in the face of opposition? He prayed to God and then he got back to work. He prayed to God, then he got back to work. And the wall continued to go up. Why? Because the people, the people worked with all their heart. There wasn't room for the critics to get into their heart because they were doing the work of God. They, they went to God in prayer and then they got back to doing the work of God. Listen, I love what Nehemiah, I love this about Nehemiah. You see it over and over again. Nehemiah was both very spiritual and he was very practical. He was very spiritual and he was very practical. Basically, Nehemiah, he worked, he would work, he would, excuse me, he would pray as if everything depended upon God, but he would work as if everything depended upon him. He would pray as if everything depended upon God, and he would work as if everything depended upon him. We are also spiritual, and we are practical. So what Nehemiah did is, God, I need you to direct my steps, and then he continued to do the work. God, I need your direction, but I'm gonna roll up my sleeves and get to work. God, we need your power, and yet I'm gonna take out my shovel, and I'm gonna keep on digging. God, we need your grace, and yet we're gonna do what you called us to do. We take a moment, we pray, and we show back up to work again. We're spiritual, and we're practical. And so, the walls are halfway up, things are going great, everybody's encouraged, then it happens. And it may happen to you too. Verse number 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. Whew. Last week we saw progress. Up to this point we're seeing progress. Now we're seeing discouragement. That might be where some of you were at. What happens so often when we step into doing whatever it is we're supposed to do with our lives, we see a little progress, and we see some opposition, and we get discouraged. It's two steps forward, one step back, or sometimes it can feel like two steps forward and three steps back. So 
We've got to find out a solution to this. Verse number 11. Also our enemies said, more discouragement. Before they, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. What do we see? We see Nehemiah's friends, we see his people, we see the people of Judah. Everybody is starting to doubt. They're not just doubting what others are going to do, they're actually doubting, get this, their own ability to get it done. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I can deal with all kinds of opposition in my life. I can deal with opposition that is spiritual opposition. I can deal with opposition that is external opposition, maybe from haters or, or opposition from people that even love me. But the hardest opposition for me to deal with in my life, the most difficult to overcome, is internal opposition. When my own insecurities start to raise their ugly head and begin to say, Troy, who do you think you are? You do not have what it takes. Now, I don't know if this is speaking to anybody, but I do believe that there's somebody that's listening today that your inner insecurities are telling you, are overcoming you, and you need to start listening to who God says that you are. You see, you believe that no matter how hard you try, you're always going to be inadequate. And that voice echoes in your mind, and it haunts your soul. You can't get it done. You can never be good enough. You'll never measure up. And those are the words that permeate in your mind. Here's my counsel. Three words. Prophetic answer to this internal problem. Are you ready? Rise above it. You got to rise above it. That's why we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's why we don't look to the left. We don't look to the right. We keep our eyes focused straight ahead. We don't listen to what the lower would say. We listen to what the higher would say. We keep our hearts higher. And that's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah hears the people the people are discouraged. They're giving up. They're giving out. They don't think that it can be done. So Nehemiah says this to them in verse number 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, <clears throat> he says. That was actually not a planned lighting thing, but that worked out perfectly. <laughs> He says, <clears throat> don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. What does Nehemiah do? He takes the focus off of the problem and he puts the focus back on God. He takes the focus off of the naysayers and he puts the focus back upon God. This isn't our battle, guys. The battle belongs to the Lord. Our God is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. All things are possible if you will only believe. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in this old world. When we walk in, the power of God walks in with us. He he is with us every single step of the way. My focus is not on what they say, and I don't want your focus to be on what they say either. I remember the hand of my God. Man, can you imagine hearing this inspiring message in the midst of all of this 
discouragement. I imagine he, he goes on. Uh, the Bible doesn't say everything he says, but I imagine he goes on and he probably says, guys, may I remind you that months ago, I prayed and prayed and prayed that God would give me favor with the king. And I remember going before the king and the king let me go. And I remember asking the king courageously if the king would send me some protection for my journey. And he did. And I remember asking the king, by the way, would you write a blank check for me to fund the entire project in a nation that you don't even care about? And he gave me the blank check. And I remember praying that God would give me favor with you. And God gave me favor with you. And I remember when there was nothing but a bunch of ruins and rubble that was lying around. And now look around. The walls are built up halfway. And I remember when God provided it all. And I remember when God made it possible. And I think that maybe he even tapped into the history of who they were. I think he probably looked at them and said, don't you remember when our ancestors were in bondage in Egypt? And they were running away from Pharaoh. And the Red Sea was before them. And God split that Red Sea into two walls of water. And they walked across on dry ground. And I, don't you remember when the enemy was in the middle of the sea and God shut it back up again and destroyed every single one? And don't you remember that when they needed guidance, it was by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? And don't you remember that when they were hungry, every single day God provided them with manna that came down from heaven? I am telling you, remember the the goodness of God. Remember the faithfulness of God. What do I do in my own life when I hear the phrase, Troy, you are not good enough? When I'm about to preach at three different churches on Sunday mornings, and I hear early in the morning, yeah, you can't do this. They're not going to listen to you. Nobody's going to be changed. I remember I remember, I remember who I was. I remember how broken. I remember the sin and the guilt and the shame. And I remember sitting in the back of a church on August 28, 1989 at Calvary Temple in Springfield, Missouri. And I remember sitting there in that pew next to my girlfriend. And I remember the pastor giving an altar call. And I remember hearing him say, you can be forgiven of everything that you've done. You can be forgiven and you can be changed. And I remember standing up when he said to stand. And I remember when he said, get out of your seat and come to the altar. My feet were going and my head was saying, what are you doing? And I remember getting to that altar and I remember bowing before God. And I remember committing my life to Jesus Christ. And I remember never turning back from what I committed to the Lord. And I remember what he did in my life. And so when I'm feeling insecure and I'm feeling inadequate, I remember where God has brought me from and I remember who God has made me to be. You remember. And so when I tell you that God can, it's because I've seen our God do. And if he's done it for me, I know he'll do it for you. One more time, verse, verse number 14. I just love this. I hope you'll underline it. After I looked things over, stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Remember the Lord your God. What he's saying to you, today God is saying, you fight for your healing. Remember the Lord your God. Believe that he can get you out of whatever struggle you're in. Remember the Lord your God. Fight for your marriage. 
Remember the Lord your God and fight for your children. Do not give up on them. What do you do when there's something in this world that doesn't sit right in your heart on behalf of God? You got to own it. You got to talk to God about it. He's going to call you to do something about it. So you rise up to act on that. You got to seek God faithfully in the journey. You got to define what it is God wants you to do very, very clearly so you know it and so everybody around you knows it. You got to make plans carefully. You got to inspire people passionately and win, not if, but when your enemy shows up to try to slow you down, you remember the Lord your God and you fight for what God has called you to fight for. You don't give up. You do not grow weary in doing good for the bible says in the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up you keep on building one stone at a time you keep on building one block at a time you keep on building one moment at a time one day at a time one week at a time one month at a time you keep on building and you don't allow any opposition to slow you down to stop you to deter you or to distract you because greater is he who is in you come on now than he who is in this old world whatever God is calling you to do, step into it. Because you have the power of Christ living in you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts. Move us, O oh God. Move us, O oh God, to do your will. Move us, O oh God, to have faith in you. Hallelujah.